Morning, guys. Um, again, my name is Mitch, and I'm one of the shepherds here at EV Free, and uh, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Um, before I jump into today's text, um, I have my own VBS story to tell, and so I'm wearing the headset today. I get to do whatever I want. I'm going to tell my story. Um, this year was the first year that, that both of my boys uh, got to attend VBS. Uh, since I'm here most days in the office, um, I brought my kids in the morning and I picked them up afterwards. And so uh, on Wednesday, it was like any other day, um, brought my boys, dropped them off. And when I picked them up, uh, I noticed that my youngest son, Henry, um, had, had a book in his hand. And uh, I, I disregarded it in that moment uh, because one, when you come in here, like Billy said, there are 700 plus kids in here, which means when VBS is over, there are 700 plus parents plus 700 plus kids all trying to get out at the very uh, same time. So uh, my, my, my biggest concern was just let me get my kids so, so we can get out of here. Now, I, know, I did mention, though, that my son had a book in his hand, and um, we didn't drop him off with anything. Uh, we kind of have to pay attention to my kids of what we, we leave them with, um, because oftentimes they'll come home with things that they didn't have when we dropped them off. Uh, like today, they'll probably come home with a toy in their pocket, or some type of supply, or offering money. I don't... And you laugh, but that's a true story. Um, my, my kids are the kind of kids that just, they see stuff and they, they kind of grab it. And they're, they're little still, and so I'm still talking to them about that kind of stuff. Um, but like I said, my son had something in his hand. And really, um, that was my first thought. I'm like, oh, gosh, what, did, what, did, what, did, what are they taking now? What are, where, what's not theirs? And so instead of trying to talk to him in the midst of, of 700 people or having to have a, a corrective conversation with him in front of his new friends, I just thought, you know what? He'll take the book home. And I'll see it later, and we can have a conversation about the end. If I need to, on Monday, I can bring it back and apologize to Mr. Alex uh, again. So uh, I, I get home that, that, that afternoon, and, and I, I walk through our, our back door, um, and my son runs up to me, and he has this book in his hand, and he's like, Dad, look what I got at VBS. And, and I looked at the cover, and it was like the kid's story of the gospel. And I was like, oh, cool, you stole the Bible. Like, that's, uh, that's cool. And then when he's like, Dad, but you have to open it up and look in it. And I opened it up, and on the inside cover of the sticker, or I'm sorry, on the inside cover of the book was a sticker that said, uh, Henry Fierro has accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior at VBS 2019. Um, you guys can clap for that. I heard like a clap. Uh. And... And it was just a, such, such a, a, a cool moment. One, because, um, gosh, I'm, I'm seeing God write a story in my kids that's just completely foreign to me. Um, I didn't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus until in my early 20s, and so I have no idea what it's like to be uh, raised in, in the life of a church, especially um, the son of someone who, who, who works at a church. And so it was just really cool to see uh, God work in him um, in a way that was just unique to him. It was cool to see the Holy Spirit minister, him, minister to him in a way that, that, that spoke to him and, and captured his heart. And so I was just so grateful of, one, for what God had done, uh, and two, the one that we are a church that, that, that will put on something like that, that will, will, will call volunteers and, and put the money and the resources behind it to be able to have something where we can present the gospel to hundreds and hundreds of kids in our neighborhood. Thirdly, I was grateful to all the volunteers. Um, this is a moment that my son will remember forever. 
And every person that was a part of VBS and every person that, that took time out of their schedule, every person that helped parking in the, in the parking lot that was up here on stage, uh, that was making crafts with the kids, all of you guys are now part of my son's story. And so I'm just incredibly grateful that we are a part of a church, that when we hear the call of Jesus, uh, we respond. And it's just so cool to see God do something neat like that in the life of, of my own son. Now, you know who I'm not grateful for? The young people that volunteer, that lead the kids, and they think it's a good idea to win them over with candy. And so they're throwing candy at my kids all day. You guys, wherever you're sitting, you're not my favorite because you pump my kids full of chocolate and sugar all day, and then me and my wife get to take them home. Thanks. But also thanks for your service too, I guess. So today we find ourselves in the second half of um, John chapter 14. Uh, Last week, Jeff queued us up for the first uh, 14 verses, I think, 1 through 14. Today, I'm going to walk us through the second half of of the chapter. So before we we jump into the text, before we jump into what Jesus is trying to show us and what Jesus is trying to teach us, as we'll see about the Holy Spirit, um, I, I got one more story to share with you guys. So one of the ways in which I receive from God, one of the ways that I hear God's voice clearly is through practicing the discipline of, of, of solitude. And so what I do a couple times a year is I, I try to get away to somewhere where there's no people, somewhere where there's no uh, cell phone reception, and I just want to clear my mind of all the clutter, all the crazy, all the static, so that I, I can be refreshed and, and be able to hear clearly uh, what God is saying to me, what he wants to say to me, and possibly what he wants to say through me. And so this is a regular practice of mine. I do it a couple times a year. And about five years ago, we were about to step into our church planning journey. As many of you guys know, we, we planted a church. And I thought, this is a big thing that God's calling us to. And so I should kind of go big on this solitude trip this year. And so uh, I decided that I was going to take off an entire week and I was going to go to Yosemite by myself. And I was just going to rest and, and clear my mind and hear God so I can begin to discern what God would say to us for our new, our new church plant. I didn't go with a lot of expectations. It's one of those trips where I only take a Bible and a journal, and I just, I just listen and wait to hear from God. Um, but I did have a couple things that I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to take a nap in my hammock, and I knew I wanted to, to take a, a decent hike. And so when I got to the park, uh, I began to kind of look at, okay, what's the hike I want to do? Now, um, I'm alone, so I didn't want to like, go off into the wilderness too deep uh, because I didn't want my wife to get a phone call or me to be on the news as you know some goofy camper who got lost um, and if you've gotten lost, you're not goofy. I'm talking about myself. Um, some goofy camper that, get, that, that got lost, and my wife is going to have to come and, and find me somewhere in the park. So I thought, I'm going to do something that, that I'm pretty familiar with. And so I go to the valley a lot, um, and, and there's this, this trail um, in the valley called the Valley Floor or the Valley um, Loop Trail. And essentially, it's just this one really long, I think 12-mile kind of trek around the perimeter of the Yosemite Valley. And I thought, you know what? I, I, I know the valley. Two, um, it's, there's not a ton of elevation, so I can be kind of like a leisurely stroll. I mean, I'm sure it'll be like walking through the mall for a day, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make this be the, the hike that I do that was, was supposed to be the highlight of my trip. So um, I, I pack my gear, and I get on the trail early the next day, and I'm like, uh, 12 miles, I should be able to do that in about a little over, you know, maybe five or six hours. Um, so if I start early, I can maybe get back a little bit before dinner. So I get on the trail at 6 a.m., and I start walking with my gear, and I have my water and my lunch and my trekking coals, and I'm 
kind of walking away, and I, you know, the, the Valley Loop Trail allows you to walk underneath Half Dome, and then you walk around behind uh, Mirror Lake, and then you walk kind of past the majestic Yosemite Hotel, um, you walk past Lower uh, Yosemite Falls, you walk past El Capitan, you kind of see all these iconic views as you're walking. Um, and then I, I passed El Capitan, and I, I noticed that all of the signs that I had been seeing throughout my, my, my hike, kind of like signposting saying, you're on the trail, you're on the Valley Loop Trail, they, they kind of went away. And so I, I start to panic a little bit, but then I think, you know what? This is the valley. Like millions of people come through the valley every year. And so there's got to be someone on this trail. And the fact that I'm walking on a beaten path, um, this means that other people have walked here. And so I'm, I'm probably in pretty good shape. Uh, I decide to keep walking. And eventually, uh, I run out of food, and then I proceed to run out of water, um, and then I run out of trail, and so I'm kind of like standing in the middle of the wilderness thinking, oh gosh, like what have I done? Um, not to mention, when you're in the valley, even though the days are longer, um, you're surrounded with granite. And so as soon as the sun falls behind the granite, the sun kind of starts to set like around 3.30, 4 o'clock-ish, depending on where you're standing. And so the sun is going away. I have no food, no water, no signs. And so I'm, I'm kind of starting to, to freak out a little bit. Um, and so what was supposed to be uh, a leisurely stroll through the valley became a 15-hour hike um, slash uh, hitchhike to get back to my, my camping location. Now, I tell this story because there was a point in that day, in that afternoon, where everything that I had depended on, all of my resources, everything that I thought was going to keep me safe, had been de- depleted. And I started to freak out, and, and, and I started to panic because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I tell that story because I think this is where maybe the disciples are with, with Jesus. You see, the disciples have been walking with Jesus for about the last three years. They've gone where he's gone. They've given up their jobs. Many of them have walked away from their families. They've, they've, they've slept where Jesus has slept. They, they've, they've heard all the things that Jesus has, uh, has said to them. They've spent almost every moment with him for the last three years. And here in chapter 14, Jesus begins to say that I'm leaving, that I'm about to go to the Father. Jesus is about to leave the earth. He's about to finish his work. But being the good friend that he is, he gives his buddies a heads up and he says, guys, I'm about to go. So their friend, their rabbi, their teacher, their Lord is leaving them. And everything that they have depended on, that they have been following, that they have put their trust in, that they have begun to follow, is about to go away. And the panic and the fear is starting to sink in. And Jesus recognizes this because twice in in chapter 14, once in verse 1 and a second time in verse 27, Jesus tells his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. If you have your John journal, if you have your Bible in front of you, um, underline that. Let not your hearts be troubled. Because we're, we're going to see this morning that when Jesus says that to the disciples, when he tells them to not let their hearts be troubled, that as much as it is for them, it's still for us today. And Jesus said this, why? Because their hearts were, were troubled. 
So in chapter 14, Jesus is, is telling his followers, which includes the 12 and includes you and I still today, why their hearts should not be troubled. Last week, Jeff gave us two of those reasons. Um, feel free to write these down in your John journal. The first is that uh, we see in verse 2, Jesus say that in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is talking about, about heaven. He's going to prepare a place for the disciples. So let not your heart be troubled because I'm going to prepare a better place for you. And then the second thing that he said to them last week to relieve the, the, the stress or the fear of their hearts being troubled, he says that if I go prepare a place for you, that I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus is telling the 12 and he's telling us that I, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And this place that I'm going to prepare for you in heaven, I'm also going to come back and I'm going to get you and I'm going to take you to this place. And this week, this morning, we're going to see the third. The third reason why our hearts should not be troubled. And that third reason is that Jesus is going to send us a helper. You see, Jesus isn't going to leave us alone in the woods to figure out how to get back. He's going to send us a helper. So for the rest of this morning, we're going to look at um, what Jesus happens to say about this helper in the second part of chapter 14. See, this helper that he's talking about, he's, he's, he's kind of a big deal. I mean, he's in the opening sentence of our, our very mission statement as a church, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we are a loving community, united in sacrifice, living like Christ for the glory of God. But first, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot to be said about the helper. There's a lot to be said about the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and as we continue through the Gospel of John, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, he'll appear a couple more times, and we'll talk about him um, as, as we finish up this, 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 this Gospel. But this morning, um, we're just going to look at what Jesus says about um, the helper, what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit here in the rest of 14. So we'll see Jesus explain three things. Three things uh, about the Holy Spirit. One, he'll, he'll talk about the way to the Holy Spirit. How do we gain access to the Holy Spirit? The second thing he'll talk about is, is the role of the Spirit. What role does the Holy Spirit play in our lives? And thirdly, Jesus will talk about the home of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the first one. Uh, the, the, the way to the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit come from? Well, the text says here in 14 that if we love him, if we love Jesus, when we love Jesus, we gain access or we get the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is not for only Pentecostals or Charismatics, but, but the Spirit is for all of the church. You see, guys, when, when, when someone joins the military, um, they, are given, um, they are given the same clothes. They are all given the same um, tools. They're all given the same sleeping quarters. They all eat the same clothes. This is what is called general or, or, or standard issue. And so when you say yes to following Jesus and, and you, you love him, that as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Christ, you have access to the Holy Spirit. So let's see what, what, what Jesus says. In verse 15, Jesus states, 
that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. In verse 21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, in response to Judas, not Iscariot, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, when you look at these verses very closely, it's kind of easy to see that Jesus is saying um, the same thing essentially three times. He's saying that if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will send you the Holy Spirit. So there is a condition to receiving the Holy Spirit, and that is that if when we love Jesus, we are compelled to obey him, to, to hear his commands, to respond to his commands, and when we do that, we receive the Holy Spirit. Now, for a lot of you guys, the moment I said obey, like your, your kind of weirded out radars kind of go up, um, because that's not, that's not a word that's really favorable in our, in our culture. And so that can become tricky for a lot of people. And really, I'm, I'm including myself in this. See, because when, when you flip those words around, it's easy to skew what Jesus is actually saying. Jesus is saying, if you love me, that love for me will compel you to obey, that you may receive the helper, that you may receive the Holy Spirit. But what we do is we flip some of those words and it becomes, well, if we obey God, then he will love me and he will receive, and we will receive his blessing or his spirit. Now, for many of you guys, you may have been uh, raised in the church or raised around people who, who were religious. People that, that, that kind of taught you that, that taught you that that's what it meant to follow Jesus. Maybe you had someone that, that, that modeled that legalistically in your life. That in order to receive the love of God, that you first had to obey him. And then you would receive access to the Spirit. But let me tell you today that that is not the gospel of grace and mercy that Jesus brings. See, what that is, when, when, when we obey to receive his love, that's, that's, that's an empty transactional, that's empty transactional religiosity. And isn't that what Jesus is coming down on the Pharisees for throughout his Gospels? That they obeyed the law with their actions, but in reality their hearts were far from God? See, I, I wasn't raised in, um, in, in a religious or, or, or Christian home, but I, I actually became really good at, at, at doing this. See, for me, I, I wanted to not gain favor with God, but I wanted to gain favor with my, with my peers, and as a kid, I, I learned pretty quick um, what it took to be accepted. I learned what I needed to do to be liked. And all of that was just rooted in, in, in self-defense and trying to just keep myself from being bullied or picked on. See, what I would do is I would come into an environment and I would see who the cool kids were, or we would call them influencers, I guess, today. And I would say, okay, cool, those are the people that I need to win over so that... They'll think I'm cool and no one else will want to pick on me or, or mess with me. And sadly, years later, when I became a Christian, um, I brought these bad habits, 
I brought this way of thinking with me. See, when I became a follower of Jesus, um, I, I literally had the exact same mentality. Okay, who are, who are the best Christians? Who are the most influential Christians? Who are the ones that it seems that people want to be like? And I immediately was able to pick out who they were. And I'm like, okay, what are these guys, what are these guys wearing? What kind of Bible do they carry? And so I went out and I bought the same Bible that these, same, that these guys were carrying. And I looked at what they were wearing and I went and bought rainbow sandals and cargo shorts and black t-shirts. Don't judge me. Um, I was at all the church services they were at. If they were volunteering, I was there as well. Um, I, w- I was trying to gain their favor. And at the same time, I thought by doing all of these things that these other guys were doing who were... Um, I was assuming that we're religious and followers of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to do those things so God will love me the way he loves them as well. But I didn't really notice what I was doing. I just thought I was doing what, what everyone else at church was doing. But I began to see it. I began to see my, my blind spots or really my flaws when I began to share my faith. And I remember saying yes to Jesus. One of my uh, first prayers, one of the things that I desired most was that would be that my brothers would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And I remember I would invite them to church and I would take them with me and they would, they would actually go um, and they would sit through services and, they, and they'd kind of be into it. And then when we would get home, um, they would kind of go back to the life that they were, they were living and it just like made me furious. I was like, guys, like, don't you see all the things that I'm doing to be a Christian? Don't you, think, don't you see all the things that I'm doing to be like a, a, a church person? You guys should be doing the exact same things. And they just, they just didn't, didn't get it. I remember one time in particular, uh, my brother and I had, had gone to church and we, we came home. And as soon as he walks through the door, he starts playing um, corn really loud. And I'm like, dude, like, you can't go to church and come home and play corn. And it was just, and I say it now, it, it's ridiculous, Right? But I began to learn that my religiosity, the way I was pushing my own, how do I say this? The way I was assuming I wanted my brothers to have the same things that I had, which was a false gospel, essentially, um, was pushing us apart. Not only was it pushing us apart, but they were losing their interest in even going to church with me. I was pushing, I was pushing them, I felt, away from God. And I began to notice this. I began to notice that my brothers and I didn't have the relationship that we once did. But over time, I began to learn what it truly meant to be a follower of Jesus. Because in the midst of all of that, as I was falsely representing what the gospel was, and I was putting these unbiblical, ungodly expectations on my brother, in the midst of all of that, Jesus still loved me. Jesus still wanted me in his presence. Jesus still rejoiced that I was a part of the kingdom of God. And the more I understood that Jesus could love me in the midst of my boneheadedness, it caused me to love Jesus more. That he could love me when I wasn't representing him accurately. And he would want to be in my presence. He would want me in his presence when I was, when I was being foolish. And the more I fell in love with God, the more I fell in love with Jesus, 
the more I understood his commandments, the more I understood what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And it's only then that I received the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it is only love that will produce obedience. Jesus will only capture our hearts through love, and it is through love that we are truly motivated to respond and obey. You see, Jesus is teaching us that if we truly love him, the fruit of our love will be obedience. Jesus is teaching us that if we truly love him, the fruit of our love will be our obedience to him. The second thing that Jesus unpacks in chapter 14 is the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit will play different parts um, in our life as, as followers of Jesus. And one of those things that Jesus talks about here is in verse 18, where Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, the word orphan here is, is literally translated as, as fatherless. So when Jesus says, I will come to you, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And he says, when the Spirit comes to you, You will not be alone. You will not be fatherless. You will have a heavenly father. You see, guys, it's it's through the Spirit, it's through the helpers, through the, the, the Holy Spirit, that we are adopted into the family of God and that we are confirmed. And He confirms that He is our Father. And we actually see this throughout the New Testament in Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says that as And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Romans 16 says that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit confirms our adoption into the family of God. Now, whenever we talk about fathers, um, for, for, for lots of people, it, it, it can trigger trauma. It can trigger um, a false understanding of, of what the father role is or what the heavenly father's role is in our life. But no matter what your, your, your family structure was like, uh, I just want to tell you this morning that you have a heavenly father who madly loves you. And if you have an earthly father that loves you, that was a great dad that supported everything that you did, you have a heavenly father that loves you even more. And like I said, some of you hear this. Because of your relationship with your earthly father and the trauma you've experienced, you are unable to wrap your head around what it means to have a heavenly father. What it means to have someone that that, that madly loves you that unconditionally loves you. So if that's you this morning, I just want to tell you a few things about our Heavenly Father. One, our Heavenly Father will always love you. Our Heavenly Father will always have space for you. Our Heavenly Father will always speak kind words over you. Our Heavenly Father will never abuse you. Our Heavenly Father will never manipulate you. Our Heavenly Father will always defend you. 
He will always tell you that you are wanted. He will always have time for you. And this is for parents of, of my generation. Our Heavenly Father will never be on His phone when we're trying to talk to Him. Guys, we are loved deeply by a Heavenly Father who only desires to have you, to have I, to have us in His presence. And the only requirement we have to have access to this Heavenly Father, to have access to this perfect Father, is to simply love Him in return. Church, we have a Heavenly Father. The second role that the Spirit plays is that it is a reminder of truth. The Spirit will remind us of truth. In verse 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. In verse 16, Jesus refers to um, the Helper as the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit will remind his children of truth. And the clearest way we see this is in the life of, of the apostles. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, that they were able to recall and recollect all the things that Jesus has done through the Gospels, the things that Jesus has done through um, the epistle letters. And they were able, to, the Spirit was able to bring these things to mind, that they were able to pen these letters that we have today to read. Not only would the Holy Spirit um, remind them of the truth of what he has already done, uh, but the Spirit will remind our children of the truths of the gospel. He will remind us of the truths of the gospel. The Spirit will remind us of the truths of Scripture. The Spirit will remind us the truth of whose we are. And he will remind us the truth of our identity. I don't know if anybody else here speaks Enneagram, um, but if you do, uh, I, I am a two, which means I'm a helper. If you want to know my wing, I'm a wing three, which is achiever. Um, but, but essentially what that means is it's in the name. Like, I, I like to help. Um, it is life-giving to know that people look towards me to help, that I, I, I'm a helpful person. And in its, its purest form... Um, oftentimes, my identity, not my identity, but my, my natural tendency to, to want to help people can actually be very redeeming and, and point me to Jesus. That I'm able to recognize how Jesus has wired me and I'm able to, to recognize the giftings that I have and what I bring to the kingdom, what I bring to our community and give God all the glory for how he's wired me. That it's not I have done these things, that it's Jesus has done these things through me, that the Spirit has done these things through me that I'm able to be a helper to our community. Now, just as these things can draw me closer to God, they can have a darker side uh, as well. See, what, what I can do easily, and this has happened in my life, is that I, I can begin to look at myself and all the good things that I have done. Especially my role here at the church is as I work with, uh, with people in our community who are vulnerable and I work, for, uh, I work with our city and I help um, try to meet needs through, um, through, through our church and how we're able to come alongside our city um, to advance the gospel. It's easy for me some days to go home and, and to pat myself on the back and, think, and say to myself, look at all the good things Mitch has done today. And I can slowly take the attention off of how Jesus is using me to do these things, but put the attention on myself 
and how great I am and how much people in our city and how much people in our church need me to come alongside them and help. And over time, what that does, that makes me not, not, no longer a slave to Jesus or obedient to the gospel or obedient to Jesus' commands, excuse me, but it makes me a, a slave to sin, essentially. That I start doing these things to get the praise of man. I start to do these things to fill my identity, to feel needed, to feel valued, to feel validated in how people need me, not in how Jesus, Jesus uses me. And when the Spirit reminds me of who I am, when the Spirit reminds me of how I'm truly wired and who should receive the glory, I'm able to repent. And the Spirit is so good because He will speak to us. He'll speak through our word. He'll speak truth through the word. He'll speak truth through community. He'll speak truth through um, my, my, my family. He'll speak truth through um, a, a book I'm reading. The Spirit is always faithful to remind me the truth of who I am. And it's in those moments I can repent because of the truth of the gospel, because of who Jesus is. Another way I've begun to experience this is, is with my son. Um, my, my oldest son, James, is, is seven. Um, and he's at the age where he's asking really good slash hard questions. And he pays really good attention um, at Sunday school. And he comes home and um, he'll share the stories of, of, of what he's learning. And he'll ask me like follow-up questions. Or I don't, he's like, he'll come up with some like deep theological thought. And he'll be like, dad, like, how is this possible? Like, will you help me understand the Trinity? Will you help me understand um, the kingdom, the now and the not yet? I mean, I don't know where my kid is learning these things, but some, someone is exposing him. He's beginning to ask me these, these hard theological questions. Um, and, and it's been really cool because in these moments, the Spirit has been faithful to come alongside him and to speak truth into him. And there's sometimes James and I will have a conversation and I'm like, I have no idea where that answer came from. I didn't even know I knew that verse. I didn't even know I remembered where that story was in scripture. And those are times in which the spirit reveals truth to us. The third role that the spirit has is that the spirit brings us peace. In verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the word, excuse me, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now imagine for a second that the disciples, that you are a disciple, you have spent the last three years uh, following Jesus. He's become your best friend, he's become your Lord, and now you're hearing him say that, that he's leaving and so I can almost understand why Jesus is telling the disciples to not be afraid. They're, they're, they're scared. The one that they call Lord, their Messiah, is going to leave them. And so Jesus makes a promise to them that he will leave the peace of the Father. Now, through relationship with Jesus and the work of the cross, Jesus gives us peace with the Father because of Jesus, because of relationship with him, uh, we are no longer in opposition to God. We have peace with the Father through the blood on the cross. And through the Spirit, Jesus promises here that we will have the peace of the Father. 
Jesus grants us peace with the Father. The Spirit gives us the peace of the Father. And Jesus says that this peace isn't like um, the world's peace. You see, the peace that we experience in the world is is simply um, absence of chaos. Absence of of, of crazy. Absence of, of, of violence. In my house, that time is between uh, about 8.30 and 11 o'clock when my kids go to bed. We experience peace. My wife and I can actually have a conversation. We can actually finish a sentence. We can actually watch uh, whatever we want on TV. But the, the hours before that, from 5 to 8, that is just chaos. But that's not the peace that the Spirit brings. See, the peace that that the Spirit brings isn't just momentary relief of chaos, momentary relief of violence. The peace that Jesus is speaking about here that the Spirit brings allows the believer to remain calm in the midst, excuse me, in the most fearful circumstance. The peace that Jesus is speaking of allows believers to remain calm in the most fearful of circumstances. You see, momentarily, momentary peace that the world gives um, it's just a, a, a temporary extinguish, extinguishing of the flame. It will come back. It will happen again, just like crazy time in my house is every day from 5 to 8 o'clock. It will happen again. But unlike the earthly peace, the peace that, that, that Jesus brings is a peace that allows us to have and experience peace in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the flame. And this peace that the Spirit brings allows us not only to walk through the flames, but to walk through them and not be burned. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going to remind you who you belong to. I'm going to bring remembrance, the truth that you have heard, and I'm going to give you my peace. And the same promises to us, church. Why do we not let our hearts be troubled? Because we have a helper. Lastly, the home of the Holy Spirit. Where is the home of the Holy Spirit? Where does the Holy Spirit live? The Holy Spirit lives in us. In verse 23, Jesus says, again, answering um, Judas, not Iscariot, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. This has got to be my favorite part about about this morning Um, because last week, Jeff talked about the Father going to prepare, or Jesus going to prepare a place for us. And this week, we hear Jesus say that he will make a home with the Father with us. And the coolest thing about this is that the same word for place and home is translated the same. So at this very moment, if you are a follower of Jesus, he is preparing a place for us in heaven, while simultaneously preparing a place for him in us this side of eternity. So what does this mean? 
That means that no matter in life or in death, that as followers of Jesus, nothing can separate us from his presence. He is always with you. In this life, he has home in us, and in death, we have home in him. See, as Christians, our our life isn't always or isn't only about the future. Our life isn't only about doing the right things to get to heaven. See, that's only half the truth. It is truth that as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, um, you will get access to heaven if you trust Jesus. But the other half of that is so much more. See, the other half of that, the other half of heaven is that we get to experience heaven this side of eternity. When our eyes are open and when we love Jesus and he lives inside of us, he lives with us now before heaven, this side of the kingdom. And in a social, in an insta-social culture where one of our biggest fears is being alone, is dying alone, is going unnoticed, this is incredibly good news for us. That through the gospel, Jesus will never leave us alone. Through relationship with Jesus, we will never be left alone. Guys, we have such an incredibly generous God. It's times like this where where we read the text and we look at what he was saying to a particular person and you are just so grateful because you know he's also saying it to us. The disciples were troubled because something was happening. Something was changing. And guys, that's going to happen in our own lives. Circumstances will change. Life will get out of control. We will experience loss. We will experience pain. Our rent will go up. We will lose jobs. And in the midst of all of that, he will never leave us alone in the woods. And he's preparing a place for us for eternity. And he's preparing a place in us now. He will return for us and he will give us a helper. So this morning, if you're troubled, if your heart is troubled, I want you to know that you have a helper. You have a helper through the Spirit in Jesus. If you feel alone, that you have a helper, that Jesus is with you. He can be with you now and he can be with you for all of eternity. But that only comes through the gift of God's son, Jesus. The one who lived a perfect life. The one that died on the cross for my sins, for your sins. The one that rose from the grave. And it is only through him that we have access to the helper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you... You are, you are a good father. You are a good father who gives good gifts. We get the gift of your son and through him and his work on the cross, we are made at peace with you. We get the gift of your spirit 
that this side of the kingdom that, that allows us to experience peace, that allows us to experience your presence, that allows us to know you as the heavenly father. So Father, I pray that those, that those truths would be reality for us this week, that it wouldn't just be something that we read in, in the pages of the text, but we would know that these are promises that you have made for us and to us. So Jesus, as we go about our lives, as we leave this place and we enter into the Monday of Saturday, Lord, would you remind us that you are near? Would you remind us that we are not alone through your son, Jesus? And it's in his name we pray, amen.